Hello, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth Bruckner, and of course, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we speak with Fiona Eide. Some of the things we discuss are learning Italian, barging in to continue learning Italian even when you feel a little uncomfortable or scared, and even how to learn with your husband and your daughter. So let's get started. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 96. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, language hackers. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bruckner, and I'm here with my co-host, Benny Lewis, founder of the Fluent in Three Months blog. Great to be here again. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Fiona Eide, one of our Fluent in Three Months challengers and winner of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the challenge and what your experience is with language learning? Um, well, my experience with language learning um, in the past was very bad. I did French at school and I was pretty poor at it. They didn't want me to take the exam because they said I was too bad. <laughs> then uh, my daughter studied Italian at university and went to work in Rome and married an Italian. And I thought to myself, well, it'd be nice to speak Italian. But really, I thought you had to have a talent for languages in order to speak languages. And that I was, you know, leaving it too, I'd left it too late. And I was just bad at this sort of thing. And I got a rotten memory and all of that. So I didn't really do anything. I relied on Ella to translate for me, which she did. And her husband, Francesco, um, they were happy. So we could talk to um, Francesco's parents and things without any problem, really. But it was always through translation. So it's not as natural. And uh, yes, eventually, we got to the point where one of my neighbors said to me, this is in, in Italy, said, well, why haven't you learned Italian? This is some old, grumpy old man. Wanted to know why I hadn't learned Italian. And I just said, well, you know, I haven't. And then another neighbor on another occasion asked me why I hadn't learned Italian because he could speak English and other languages. And I couldn't really think of a reason. So I said, well, I'm just too stupid. And uh, <laughs> that was that. And then for some reason, and I don't remember why exactly or where, I came across Fluent in three months and um, thought, yeah, this looks interesting. Perhaps I'll give it a go. How, how did it happen then from, from that point that what changed when you joined the Fluent in Three Months Challenge compared to maybe anything you would have done before? First of all, I wasn't expecting very much because <laughs> I thought, you know, companies, they promise stuff, don't they? And you pay money and it's all, you know, a bit of a disappointment. So I had low expectations, but I thought I'd left it so long. This is really the last chance to make an effort. It's only three months and there's a sort of money back guarantee. I am right about that, aren't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was encouraging because I thought, well, if I, you know, if it really doesn't work, I can ask for my money back. And so I thought, okay, you know, sign up. Let's see what happens. And I was very surprised. Yeah, you mentioned in um, one of your comments to me that, let's see if I have it here. 
I was not expecting much from Fluent in Three Months Challenge to be more than a useful framework, but it has been brilliantly supportive and inspirational. I'm not just saying this. The challenge has surprised me with how good it is and that it is not just flannel. I especially like the it's not just flannel because I've never heard that colloquialism before. And I, I think flannel is very useful. I came from a very cold <laughs> part of the country. Flannel's good, but if it's not, it's not just flannel. It's more than that. It's lace and and um, maybe fleece. I don't know. No, I mean it was it was a real surprise because everyone was so friendly, so supportive and encouraging, and really quick with coming back. I mean, if I had a bad day, you know, I felt a bit miserable about something, I would write something in, and you were one of the other coaches that come back to me really quickly with something that just sounded so nice that I thought, okay, you know, keep going. And that was one of the absolute best bits. But then, as I said, they've also got the structure and the structure was very, very well organized and loads and loads of tips and suggestions and practical things. And I really like that as well. As I said, I wasn't expecting to get all of that. It's a lovely surprise. So you are a self-proclaimed technophobe And this whole system is based online through like an online community and using the latest technology. So how did you push through that to be able to use this new system? Well, I wasn't, again, very optimistic about my ability, but you've got some very good IT people so that I did get stuck a couple of times. They were straight back on it, explaining to me what to do or, you know, helping me out. And it worked. I didn't like doing videos. I don't like people looking at me and me talking and things, but it gets you to learn how to do it. And you know, this day and age, really, you ought to be able to do that sort of thing. So that was another plus, really. It helped me with all the technology side. I feel like you really took advantage of the challenges that you were in, in that there are a few channels that you can be really active on, or you optionally cannot be. You can not put in the yay nays how you did that day. And you were consistent every day. You were saying, I had a bad day. This is what happened. I had a good day. This is what happened. And then you were also supporting other challengers. And this is what we, we're trying to do. We're trying to make it like an umbrella effect where the coaches support you and then you support each other. And we start off strong and fast in the beginning. And then you can see how the seeds of supportiveness kind of grow in that garden. And you were one of the most supportive challengers. When did you start realizing that, oh, showing up and logging in my time and telling people what tools I'm using and connecting with other challengers, when did you start noticing that that was actually a part of the magic? Well, I think that was early on because I realized that it works both ways, doesn't it? You help people they help you. And you feel much better, I suppose, as we found out in lockdown, didn't we? Much better if you can interact with people. It just makes you, lifts your day, doesn't it? So uh, yes, I got into that, I think, quite early on and just kept at it, really. And one of the things I must make this quite clear is that I found the challenge fun. I wasn't expecting that. I actually enjoyed doing the work, enjoyed interacting with people. You know, liked the progress apart from the videos <laughs> because I don't like being on camera. But um, yeah, it was good. Now, that's the great thing about the challenges. There's so many components to it that you can find a lot that will motivate you to keep on going. But of course, the videos are an important aspect and they do pin your progress. 
And I think you're especially worried about your day 90 video. So how did you push through when video is really not something that you, you enjoy doing? Well, I ended up doing it three times <laughs> because I did have a technical problem with the internet because the first one I tried to record, I was actually in Italy and I was doing it outside in the garden and it just didn't work very well. So um, I thought, well, it doesn't matter. I've left myself sufficient time before the final deadline. So I'll have another go. Next time I tried it inside in the house and it was all right, but I thought I can make it better than that. So then I did it the third time. And I suppose in a way you get used to the fact that you've got to do something because you kept trying to do it. I mean, it's a bit like learning the language, isn't it? You keep at it. You don't notice a big difference, but as long as you keep going, you, you get improvements. And the video thing was a bit like that. So I knew I'd got to do it. And also, it's a good incentive, isn't it, to jolly well make sure you've tried your hardest when you know you're going to be videoed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I use that as my incentivizer, really. That is a strong incentive that people are going to see it. I've noticed that even recording myself in the morning, speaking my target language, even if I'm not going to share it, there's something about the mirror neurons in your brain that sees another person watching, even if it's you, and kind of wakes up a little more than if you're just driving in the car and speaking your target language. So I have a secret for you. I don't like videos either, although I do them because they have such incredible potential for waking up our, our nervous system to think, okay, right, we are, this is an actual conversation. So you had a tutor that, believe it or not, um, is a regular with Fluent in Three Months Challenge members. Um, she is, her name is Rosella. And there's a cute little story. I don't know if she's ever told you, but when she first started with one of our challengers, she's like, what is this Fluent in Three Months? What are you doing? What what kind of madness are you, is this company proposing? And then she helped a challenger get to a 15 minute conversation and was blown away. And more importantly, she showed her mom the 90-day video. So we're going to include your 90-day video in the um, in the show notes um, if you're if you're willing. If you're like, forget it, no, never mind, we won't. But Roselle, you'll see her on our on our YouTube channel. Her mother was like, "What is it that you do every day?" Like, I don't quite understand. And she showed her the 90-day video, and her mom's like, "Wow, your job is magical because you're starting with someone that knows nothing, and then in 90 days, I mean, think about how fast." 90 days goes, right? It really is. It's an intense program and you need to be committed. You can slack off here and there when you're exhausted and other people will help you get it back on track, but really it is quite amazing. Can you tell me how did your daughter react with, she went through formal training and then she suddenly saw her mom kind of just add water and start speaking the language. Was she surprised? I think she was. And also they showed my video much to my annoyance, <laughs> to Francesco's parents, and they were very surprised. <laughs> so, um, you know, they've only met me speaking English apart from, you know, uh, the odd word. And they were very surprised and impressed. But, you know, it takes quite a bit of work, as I'm sure you know, having done it yourself. <laughs> so you just got to stick at it. It was great. And Ella, Ella did help me. She would chat to me and we still, we text each other in Italian. And obviously mine's not brilliant, but we, we know, we understand each other. And that was one of the best things about this is that I could actually chat to, this is yet another elderly neighbor about something that I would never have had a conversation with anybody ever in Italian before. And here I was at the, just before the end of the three months, I think it was chatting to this elderly gentleman called Attilio about 
the number of varieties of tomatoes that he grew and the fact he loves South American history and what his health was like as far as gardening goes now and all that sort of thing. It's just amazing, really. I was so pleased about that. And I'm going to back to Italy in April to see Francesco's parents in the flesh for the first time in you know, two years, I think it is. <laughs> and I hope they'll be really surprised. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an amazing experience, I think. It's going to completely transform your relationship with them, that you can talk to them directly without having to go via an interpreter. And that you can get to know their neighbors and uh, you can explore the town and it's going to enrich so many things. Like what other ideas and plans do you have when you're going to be in Italy that you think are going to be different this time? Well, my main thing is being able to chat to people in the street and in shops and things. I want to get a proper feel of what it's like to be part of the community. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. Yes, it'd be great to talk to Francesco's parents because they're lovely people, but it'd also be lovely to talk to, there was a mad ex-mafia man I met the last time I was there. And I was able to say, I like your dog, but I'd love to be able to have a proper chat with him. You know, it's that sort of exciting thing that I'm really looking forward to. We're, We're off to Naples. And of course, with Naples, there's loads of interesting things to see and superstitions and all of that to chat about. And uh, I can't wait. I can't wait for you. We we need to have you back on to tell us about the visit because there is a, like Benny's written about it many times, but to actually feel it, there's a quantitative difference when you go to it. It's like going to, an, like if you've been to the same country over and over again without speaking the native language, and then when you go and you can speak it, it's a different country, quite honestly. You just, you connect in a different level. Speaking of connection, there were times when you utilized your daughter's knowledge and would ask her to do corrections for you and ask her to help you with your language learning. Has that, is that the first time that your daughter, you know, as a mother, you are the teacher typically through her whole life? Was this the first time that the role was reversed and you were learning something new from your daughter? And what was that like? Did it deepen your relationship? Yes, I think it did. Because we've got the same sort of sense of humor. So we enjoyed all the stupid mistakes together and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So, yes, it's, it was another connection. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. You know, she's not bossy in any way. And she tells me about the bits that she'd find hard. I mean, at the moment, I'm moaning to her about the subjunctive. <laughs> Why they have it, I cannot imagine. Anyway. <laughs> It's just great to talk to someone, you know, who you know really, really well, and they're not going to be critical. They're just going to say, well, this is what happened when I did it, or, oh, yes, I used to hate that as well, and that sort of thing. So, yes, it did deepen our relationship. We just, you know, added some more fun. As well as with your daughter, you also, during walks with your husband, you used those as opportunities to be able to practice Italian. So how did that work, and how did that change your dynamic? That was one of my favorite things. It still is, actually. We go up the hill together. He's not learning it as intensively as me because he's one of these happy-go-lucky people who's happy to have a go and doesn't particularly want to do much studying. (laughs) So um, we go up the hill together and um, he'll put together a sentence or I'll put together a sentence and we'll try and talk to each other and then we'll have a massive argument about who's got the grammar wrong and that sort of thing. And it's just really good fun. And I like that. Or some other times we'll be cycling up the hills together. And you know, cycling up hills is quite hard work. It's not so much hard work if you are having a 
friendly argument about Italian or you're talk, trying to sort of throw insults in Italian. I'm not very good at the insults, but I can have a go. <laughs> and it just adds an extra. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do with him now. Really enjoy it. Yeah. I'm going to make my husband listen to this uh, episode because he's also happy you're lucky. And I'm always like, let's learn. Like he'll say one word in French and I go crazy. Like, let's talk, please. So let's um, just, if you have any tips for new beginner language learners, in particular, uh, people that are trying the challenge for the first time, you've done one challenge and then another challenge right after. What would you have done differently in that first challenge? Or what would you tell other beginners to try out Firstly, I'm not sure what I would have done differently. I think the things that I found the best from my point of view was taking on board the thing about talk, talk, talk. You've got to speak. And it doesn't matter who or what you speak to. I mean, I can chat to the cat and I've had chats with my three-year-old granddaughter who is Italian and she corrects me. Anyone that you can do that to, just keep talking. And the other main thing about it was make it fun, which is why, I mean, I'm one of these people that likes arguing and likes a, a joke and things. And if we can do that with it, then if you can, if you can find something you think is fun and add somehow get the, the language to come in, it's not going to feel like a chore and it's not going to be like doing French at school, which was just so boring. You know, you, you're going to enjoy it. I mean, I was even doing um, laps in the swimming pool trying to say Italian stuff while I was going up and down, because that's not very exciting, is it, going up and down in the pool? But everywhere that you can get it in, it just makes you feel better, really. You know, you've, you've added in little chunks, haven't you? And it's the little chunks that add up. That would, be, that would be what I'd say to someone who was starting, is make it fun and keep talking. And along those lines, you've got a lot of really great routines, you know, like you said, um, going for the walks with your husband and then sprinkling it in to things like swimming. So uh, in terms of other advice for people listening, how do you come up with the ideas and how do you begin these routines that then will just contribute so much to your Italian learning experience? Well, with the, the walking on the hill, Ella had been telling me, this is my daughter, for ages, that this was the best thing to do. And I took no notice because that's what you do, mother and daughter, isn't it? <laughs> and then my husband got in on it as well. And I thought, well, you know, give it a try. As for the other things, I just tried to think, what do I like doing? How can I bring it in somehow? And I'm sure there must be lots of things other people like doing that they can somehow do it. For instance, I haven't tried this. I suppose you could try going shopping and with a list in your language or saying to yourself, because obviously you can't do it to the shopkeeper, you know, could I have whatever? Because it's just a way of practicing things that you might like that isn't like doing it in a, a routine way like at school. You just need to avoid that boring, repetitious sort of stuff, I think. What you're describing here is what a few like authors about learning call habit stacking and habit chaining. So habit stacking is when you take something that you normally do in your daily life and you add, you stack on the habit of language learning. For instance, Benny likes to 
then you like to do video, you play video games, right? So he will often play video games in his target language. And Fiona, you like to walk with your husband or bike up hills. I, I would never do that. I would not consider that you fun. You love it. You would love it. <laughs> I would bike downhill. I wouldn't mind downhill biking. I love biking, just not up. Um, but this idea of habit stacking, one of the things that I habit stacked, I also did the pool. My neighbors had to have thought I was insane. I would put a a notebook with um, sentences at one end of the pool. I'd read a sentence and then I'd swim and then I'd stop and jump up and down and, and count in the language and then swim back. And it was just, and you could get waterproof earbuds. Like there's lots of ways to connect. The thing is, I think people don't realize what they like to do. Like I, I know this sounds insane, but I was an, I'm an avid reader. But when people said, do what you love, I didn't think about reading in the target language as something that was fun. And when I finally figured it out, it was amazing. Like there was nothing that I could do that was, was wrong there. So this idea of having fun is just so important. It's so essential. The second thing you talked about was talking and just talking to anyone. The first few times that you did that, it had to have been uncomfortable. I know it was for me especially as a grown adult who, for the most part, can express my ideas. I jumble my words sometimes, but usually quite articulate. And then to go to absolute zero, baby, you're saying things wrong. You can't, you have an idea formed. You cannot actually express it. How did you work through what might've been, for me, it was frustration. How did you work through those baby steps before you were able to have that conversation with your gardener? Well, it was talking with my teachers. You know, in the challenge, you've got to talk to three different people. Well, to start, you've got to find them. So I tried out different teachers on italki. And with two of them, it was just, I felt so embarrassed and so useless. And it was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> but the third one was Rosella. And somehow we clicked. And yes, I could say very little, but she said, don't worry, you're in a safe space here. You know, just take your time. And taking your time is, is a key thing, really, because you feel the urge to fill the void. And then your brain gets all sort of in a mess. So because we, I just felt, you know, she's what, 30 years younger than me, <laughs> we got on. So it didn't matter that I could only say a little bit because each lesson I could say a little bit more. And I'm still, I don't know, pretty useless when it comes to grammar and things. But we have chatted about so many things, so many different topics, you know, from children vomiting to feminism, politics, doing the gardening, all sorts of things, recipes, favorite recipes. We all sorts of things, most of it not completely unplanned, you know, just says, oh, what have you been doing? And I say, what have you been doing? And we go from there. And it's just built up slowly, slowly. And because I know her now, well, even at the beginning, I felt I sort of knew her, we can chat. Whereas with the other two, one or one of the gentlemen are very, um, I say elderly, probably the same age as me, actually. He was a bit straight laced. So I sort of got the feeling he was a bit disappointed that <laughs> I couldn't say anything very much. And the other gentleman I spoke to was a bit too cool for school, I thought. So uh, yeah, we didn't exactly click there either. But you find the person that you've sort of got an affinity with. And it doesn't matter that you're only saying a couple of things, especially if they're the generous sort of person who will wait for you and help you out. And if there's a word they've said, 
and you've no idea what it is, they'll stop and say, oh, well, you know, it's this and all that. And you, you sort of just get there. I'm not, I'm not fluent by any manner of means. <laughs> not fluent, but you're able to have these conversations. And that means a lot. And you, something you were saying earlier is when you first came across my stuff, you of, of course had this initial reaction of skepticism. And obviously part of that is this guy's on the internet. Does he just want my money? But in general, there's, there are a lot of people who have these intensive language projects, whether they're doing the fluent in three months challenge or they're doing it in of their own accord. And what would you say to somebody who is skeptical of that concept that, you know, I've, I've spent five years in school trying to learn French and I got nowhere. So I'm a disaster. I'm stupid. I can never learn a language. And like, like the kinds of things you were thinking, what would you say to somebody who has that mentality to encourage them based on what you've experienced? I suppose I'd say that this is a different sort of method of learning. This isn't like doing it in school. School is routine and methodical and boring. <laughs> and this is something that you make of it what you're prepared to put into it. And it's enjoyable. You know, you won't necessarily expect it to be, but somehow it is. You've got to want to do it. You've got to be prepared to put some effort in. But it's not like sitting down and learning loads of tenses and things at school and having a test and, you know, not getting very good marks and things. This is something where you've got a community supporting you. You've got people rooting for you. And the thing is, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, look how late I left it. I'm now 65, which is a horrible thought, but it does show it's not too late, doesn't it? <laughs> it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And there is a difference between intensive missions, which Benny's done a bunch, and then an intensive mission with a community. Because when I found Benny's blog, Fluent in Three Months, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm in my 40s, but I'm young enough to to do this on my own. And I didn't get anywhere near as far in the first three months as I did when I learned my second language in the challenge, because there's a method to the madness. Like we're not asking you to just find one person to speak to. We're asking you to find several so that you can pick and choose because it's kind of like dating when finding a, a tutor, like you have to find one that's a good match. And if they're not a good match, they're either going to bore you, scare you or intimidate you. You don't want any of that. So there's a lot of ups and downs that come in language learning. And you had mentioned that um, you really enjoyed the Benny episode. I think it's language hacking episode number 41, which was about Benny's climb on Mount Kilimanjaro. And you said it was a very realistic comparison to language learning. Can you tell me what parts of that, if you can remember, really connected with you in terms of your language learning expedition? Well... I don't think I was anywhere near as brave as you, Bunny. <laughs> I mean, I listened to that and I really was you know, impressed that you stuck with it because it sounded pretty miserable a lot of the time. So I don't think my language learning was miserable, but the bits that were the same were the staying with it when it doesn't feel that easy. You've got to believe in the process somehow. You've got to say, yeah, I started this, so I'm going to keep going. Yes, it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere, but I know that if I keep going, somehow it will get there, which was just like you going up Kilimanjaro, wasn't it? That you, you did it in spite of everything. And yeah, it sounded, uh, I mean, it made me a bit sad when I was listening to it, but 
it was good. And it, and it is it is like language learning, only, only obviously harder because it was a physical thing. But yeah, it was inspiring. Loads of analogies. And like you said, it was it was miserable. And there are many times when I was thinking, I probably should just give up on this. And everyone was better than me. Like not not even like opinion of me just uh, overthinking it. Like people were literally way ahead of me. So I I think language learning really helped me with that because in learning languages, I have felt like the stupidest person in the room many, many times. And I've gotten numb to it. And, I, and now I'm like, who cares? Yeah, sure. I'm the I'm the one with the the worst grammar and I don't know basic words. But you know what? People people are fine with it. So I think that even though I was much older, I think I actually would have struggled more with Kilimanjaro if I had done it when I was 20 years old. Because like a small challenge, I might think, oh, maybe I should give up on this. It really does completely reframe your your opinion. I'm glad you enjoyed that uh, little episode. I did. I did. Although I did feel sad for you <laughs> quite a lot of the time. <laughs> Me too. I totally Aww. teared up during that episode. <laughs> Uh, don't worry about it. I, I, I like at the end of every single day, like like you were just saying that you have people rooting for you makes a big difference. At the end of every single day, I got a round of applause when I was coming into the tents from the rest of the people who, you know, rather than thinking, oh, Benny, he's uh, he's overweight and slow. Why don't we just ditch him and, and go on uh, ourselves? No, they were all about rooting for me and saying, you can do it. We're so proud of you. And that that completely transformed the experience. So even though, as I tell it and share the struggles, it can feel a little sad. I I felt extremely motivated and so happy through throughout the whole thing. And that that's what um, the language learning is like. You've got this these supportive community, um, all the fellow students and the coaches, and they're all behind you, willing you on. And one thing that would have surprised you is in your very first challenge. You actually won the entire uh, Fluent in Three Months Challenge out of everybody else who did it. So what was your reaction to that? When I'm sure you would have gone in thinking, you know, I'm probably going to be the worst here. Everyone's going to do so much better than me. And then at the end, you were our most impressive challenger. I was extremely taken aback. I wasn't expecting that. I was just, you know, pleased that, that it was working. Wasn't expecting it to be like that. But, you know, it was great. What a, what a brilliant surprise. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, holding neighbors hostages because I'm the queen of that. I have a bunch of senior citizens that have a lot of time on their hands that live nearby, my neighbors, and they're always like gardening. And if they're out with a hose and they speak another language, you better bet your bottom dollar. I'm going to go over and they can't run. They're just slower than me. So they're there and they're like, oh, oh no, here she comes. Hola, como estas? Um, you have some neighbors too. How did you find, first of all, what are you doing with all these Italian speaking neighbors? That's kind of cool. Like, did oh, you know that was into- in Italy? That was oh, in, it's Italy. in Italy. <laughs> because we go some of the time, my daughter lives in Rome, but some of the time that we, we stay in Umbria. And in Umbria, we've got these Italians, obviously, roundabout, um, who come round to the garden and start chatting. That's just what they do. It's it's great. Now I haven't. I don't think I've got any foreign neighbours in Westmorland. Not that I've met, but um, yeah, I am planning after April possibly to have another go at French. <laughs> and there probably there's probably some French. Well, in fact, there was a French neighbour around here somewhere some years ago. So uh, she she may still be about. But it's just nice, isn't it? I like 
talking to people. I think I'm perhaps I'm nosy or curious or something. I like finding out about other people's lives and things. And this is one of the best ways to do it. And also, I mean, I probably shouldn't mention this because it's a political thing, but I was so upset by Brexit. We're a European community. And there we were going wrecking everything. Well, I don't want to make us isolated and we're better than you and that sort of thing. I want to be able to talk to everybody and see how similar we are or how interestingly different we are. And to do that properly, you actually need to talk to people in their own language. So, uh, yeah, there was a bit of that coming into things as well. So uh, you mentioned French there. I'm curious to see what, what, what do you think your long term plans are going to be? Like, where do you plan to take your Italian and uh, do you think you might do a, an intensive three-month challenge with your French? Yes, I might do one with the French. I want to try and make sure the Italian's pretty secure, although I'm beginning to have my doubts over the subjunctive. Um, <laughs> but yes, I want to make sure that, and I'll find out in April, when I go, you know, am I able to talk to people the way I want to talk to them? If I am, then I'm going to think about adding French because I love France. I love the attitude of the French. I enjoy the culture and the food and all of that sort of thing, as well as Italy. And the thing about learning French at school is just a bad dream, apart from the fact that in spite of being useless at it, all these French words will come into my head when I'm trying to speak Italian. You know, the number of times it's done that, which is just infuriating. Anyway, so um, I may make up for it. Oh, and the other thing is the French employed my daughter. She works for a French company in Italy. So I adore them for that, <laughs> giving her a job. <laughs> so probably that's the next language that I will have a go at. And I never thought I'd, I'd make it with one. So to think of having two is amazing. It's really amazing, isn't it? Benny, uh, a quick question for you, because I think a lot of people think you go from three-month challenge to three-month mission to three-month challenge to three-month mission, but you actually concentrate on one language longer than just three months. Can you tell us quickly a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, the way that I have become a polyglot has always been that I've been completely focused on one language at a time. For the first years, I didn't do it in three months because I hadn't perfected my craft. So I I was working on Spanish for over a year and I just got to the beginnings of fluency with that. And then with the other languages, I would only move on to them when I felt I'd reached that B2 fluency level. Because for me, taking on multiple languages at lower levels is just not something I'm able to do. Definitely not at the same time, but definitely not from one to the other. So I've never learned four languages in a year, like with three months after one after the other, I've always focused on one language. Or if I'm not focusing on a brand new language, I'm maintaining all my languages. So that's kind of what I am able to do simultaneously is rather than pushing those up a dramatic amount, I'm just making sure I'm keeping them, I'm polishing them and keeping them alive in my mind. And like, that's generally what I've been doing for most of the last uh, like two years is really maintaining my best languages ahead of these upcoming travels. So they're where I need them to be. So I can do all the things Fiona has been talking about and just like have lovely random chats with people who are um, on the same street as me and just uh, vastly change my experiences in the country. So um, uh, like, it's not my, my goal to be a language collector and just learn new languages all the time. You have to be working on them and maintaining them. And only when you feel you've reached that solid level would I then potentially be able to put it on pause and go on to the next one. 
how, how do you maintain them all? What do you do to keep them all going at the same time? Uh, a lot of the same things during the intensive projects, just that they're spread out. So I, like these weeks, I have a, uh, an italki lesson every single day, but in a different language. And then the things that I like to do in general in my life, since, you know, I like making videos, I have separate Instagram and TikTok accounts that I would either upload or at least consume content in those other languages. So I, I kind of decide today is going to be my Irish day. And I'm on Twitter scrolling through people's tweets in Irish. And I'm reading my book in Irish and I'm studying my vocabulary. And then I have my spoken session. And I make sure I carve out several hours out of every day. And if there's something I might tend to do in English, like watching Netflix or something, I always try to opt for doing that in the other language instead. So having one language a day is something I'm able to kind of mix it up in my maintenance mode. But it's only because I've already reached fluency. Like the idea of doing one language a day when I'm a beginner that that would just melt my brain. Like I wouldn't be able to uh, switch between the languages. I'd be mixing them up completely. So there are some polyglots who are able to take on more than one language at uh, lower levels, but I found that's just not something I'm able to do. What about you, Elizabeth? Similar, except that I'm not very routine about one day is Spanish, one day is French. And I did see what Benny said. I definitely consider myself, like Benny's advice has been the only advice that has worked for me initially. I had years and years, 11 times trying to learn a language without success, doing other ways. So I really follow closely what he does, but I'm also not as testosterone-y as him. So I like it a little more mellow yellow and like flowers and paisley. And so um, what I do is I just incorporate it into my life and you don't even see it. You wouldn't, if you were with me, you would be like, oh my gosh, she's speaking languages all the time, different. Like I only watch TV in Spanish and French. Um, I don't watch it in English. Like there's, there's really no reason. I believe that TV is kind of brain rot. So if I'm going to watch brain rot, I'm going to watch it in a language that I can actually utilize it. And so what if I don't understand everything? I've also been known, I believe that language learning has made me a little more impolite. I used to be much, much nicer at parties, but now Oh, heaven help you. If you speak with an accent and I hear it, I'm just like, I will, I jumped in. I actually um, interrupted a like very in-depth conversation with two French women because I heard them speaking French and I just walked up and I'm like, you're speaking French. And then I started speaking French and then, but sometimes it really works. And they just, I became like their best friends for the evening and it was beautiful. And then I would call my best friend who doesn't, she's monolingual. And she's like, how do you do this? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, your brain forgets how much work you've put into it. And it does feel like a miracle. Like for 40 something years, I only spoke in one language. I saw this guy giving a bad review of um, Rosetta Stone. You know, that was Benny. I got some of his tips. And suddenly now, like magic, I'm able to speak languages. And because it's a part of my life, it doesn't feel like work. Just like you said, I, I do what I like. I go towards the sunshine. And if I get a teacher or a tutor or even a, a person, like if I went to that party and those two women gave me the stink face, I wouldn't sit there and try to speak with them. I'd be like, oh, thanks so much. And then I'd go find someone else with an accent and try to speak in a target language. So for me, maintaining is just keeping it alive in my everyday use. Now I have a lot less to maintain because Benny's got, you know, numerous languages. I have two at the time and I have dabbled in other things, but I, I'm not um, using any brain space for those things. I was in a shop and there was a lovely Italian assistant 
who was advising on wine. And I was too scared. To say, this was right at the beginning of the challenge. I think I'd done a couple of weeks and I, I was desperate to talk to him and I didn't have the courage. And I feel bad about that. But I think it'd be different. I think it would be different now. It would be different now. And I also have a set of uh, three sentences that I always say when I first speak to someone. I always tell them I'm a learner. I always tell them how many, how long I've been learning because it sets up the stage for, hi, I want to talk to you because I love your language. And I'm still a baby. I'm only four years old. I'm only two years old. And once they hear that, number one, in America, I want to be really careful of native Spanish speakers that speak perfect English. And I try to speak Spanish to them because uh, one of my friends said it could be considered an insult if I just start speaking to them in Spanish as if my two-year-old Spanish is better than their 20-year-old English. So when I set it up with, hi, I'm a language learner. I love your language. I've been learning for this long. First of all, we the language island is usually language learning, which is a really strong language island for me. And secondly, they start looking at me, they see the wonder that I have, like that childlike wonder. And childlike enthusiasm, I believe, is one of the most attractive qualities a person can have. Like, I'm excited about this. And if someone else already knows about it, they can be excited too. We don't have enough joy in the world. So being able to talk to people in a very safe way about something that they already love or they're already an expert in can be really a great way to connect. I predict, Fiona, that you're going to be our next Benny Lewis there in <laughs> Italy. You just wait and see. I wish. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> well, one thing you were saying, like that terrifying moment where you could have used Italian and you just, you, you just didn't feel like you were ready for it. Like one of the hacks that I have for that is exactly what Elizabeth was saying. I just have a few things ready in my mind that I know I can say, and then I don't have to think about it so much. And I, I have, if people ask me, oh, why are you learning this language? Even as an absolute beginner, I have this little script memorized of, well, you know, oh, I have a blog and I really want to learn your language because I want to go to the country. And I don't have to think in the moment, like, how do I come up with all of this vocabulary? So that's one of my big hacks. So one question that we always like to ask people on the podcast that I'm going to pose you is what is your definition of language hacking? I don't know. I suppose my my only thing which probably doesn't count at all is barge in. <laughs> barge in and it doesn't matter if it sounds like me, Tars and you, Jane. And that's something I, I could never in a million years have imagined myself doing because that's not my nature. But now I'll do it. I've done it. You know, I've done it lots of times in with people and I'm going to keep doing it. So it's and perhaps it's the thing to do with getting older as well. It's a who cares thing. Get in there. Have a go. <laughs> so, yes, I suppose that that's my hack. If, if that counts as a hack. <laughs> I love it. Barging in is a great hack. Don't overthink it and just uh, just enjoy the experience. Don't treat it like that Italian shop assistant that I met in Ledbury. I mean, I was worried because there were English owners in the shop and I thought they can hear me speak bad Italian. And that, and that was the end of that. Not doing that anymore. It's getting there. <laughs> yeah. Never again. Well, good for you. And I look forward to hearing about your next experience where you'll jump on the opportunity and just barge in. It's the way to do it. This has been a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for coming on, Fiona. Really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's lovely to talk to you both. You know, really interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I will lis wish everybody listening then a very happy language learning. Yes, and from me as well. Happy language learning. 
And that's a wrap. What an insightful interview with Fiona. At the end of the podcast, we like to discuss a few takeaways that we've gathered. Benny, what was your highlight during this interview? So I liked her response when I asked her what the difference between learning during something like a challenge and learning in school was. There's a lot of differences, but one that she highlighted that's very important, uh, which also happened to, to be important for me for other challenges, like even hiking a mountain, is that you have people rooting for you. Because when I think back on my school experience, it was much more of like me versus the world. You know, everything was going against me. I had grammar that I felt stupid about. The other classmates were kind of uh, getting better grades than me. So I I felt like if I'm competing, it's in a a kind of a non-friendly setup where I'm just a a constant loser. And it just the whole experience was not going to help me to embrace learning the language. Whereas learning it during any kind of a challenge and when you have a community aspect to it means that you do have people who are rooting for you. And I really like that she said that because it does make a world of difference that when you're having those down days, you can go to the community and they will pick you up. And when you share an update video and you feel like you look terrible and everything sounds really bad they are going to be saying, oh my God, you're making such good progress. So that for me was a great takeaway that when you do this as part of a community, that what makes it different to your previous experience is that you have people rooting for you. What was your big takeaway? Uh, Something along the same lines. I will say that, you know, we are social animals, you know, we are meant to be connected to one another and language learning is all about connection. So when we try to be a loner in language learning, it just doesn't work. That's not the purpose of learning a language is not to sit at home by yourself. So in terms of the idea of finding supportive helpers, I think finding a friendly tutor is essential. And I would even say to try out always try out more than one. So with French, the first thing I did was I tried three tutors. I had no idea what I was supposed to be looking for. I just, one of them wasn't paying attention to me. Another one kept yelling at her kid during the lesson and it felt uncomfortable. And the last one was amazing. So when I found a friendly, supportive tutor. And then with Spanish, also learning with different tutors, like I find that they have some are more structured and some are more conversational. And I like having both. So this idea of looking for a tutor that really kind of makes you look forward to the lesson is essential in the language learning journey. We truly hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let us know by pinging Benny on one of his social media accounts. We'll leave the accounts in our show notes for you. We love hearing from you. Thanks so much and see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.